and things like that, which actually hits close to my home because I, I will be very transparent and I would probably, I've never been diagnosed with it, but I have, I know that I have quite a functional, it's what's called functional borderline personality disorder and it's uh, storminess of relationships and just really struggling with the thing that you want the most is closeness, but it's also the scariest thing that you could possibly do yeah so like striving for the thing that you want but not being able to get it hey Anderson, welcome to episode 197 of the commando voice today i speak with a licensed mental health counselor and the founder of spectrums of humanity please welcome michelle meany Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice Podcast, where I interview local business owners, comedians, singers, and more. I dive into their backstory to find out how they got where they are, what are some of the tips for you to do the same, and find out where they are going. Tune in every week as I interview more of the people you see every day. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. And uh, I hope you guys are having a good week. We got Halloween coming up on Tuesday. My kids keep reminding me it's coming up. In fact, today being Tuesday, uh, if you're listening to this on the launch day, uh, yeah, it's coming. Uh, it's today. So yeah, I hope you guys be safe out there. Uh, have fun. Get candy. Take the candy from your kids so that they don't get sick and uh, enjoy that time. Um, over the weekend, I got to have my final soccer game for my son's soccer team. Um, and it was a doozy. We lost pretty, pretty poorly. Um, but, uh, it was neat to see the kids grow over the season. Um, not a great coaching debut for myself, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um, but a lot of fun. Uh, got to see a lot of boys, uh, grow in their skills in soccer. Um, learn some new concepts, uh, just seeing some of those things that we put into practice that we tried over and over in practice and then they would do it in a game. Uh, even though it didn't come off sometimes, watching them do it, see that working in their brain was so cool to be able to see that. So, um, you know, excited for them. Uh, glad the season is over for the sake of my schedule. Um, now we're rolling into November, which is a crazy time for us as well. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry. Um, so, um, yeah, hope you guys had a good weekend. It was beautiful here in Washington. Um, and, uh, yeah. But today, uh, I'm interviewing, or, uh, you know, interviewed before, now releasing, my interview with Michelle Meany, who is someone I've wanted to get on the podcast for quite a while now. She is a um, licensed mental health counselor, like I mentioned in the intro. Uh, she has her own business, Spectrums of Humanity. And, um, you know, is really focused on, um, you know, mental health and, and things like that, but is continuing to learn more in that. And we dive into all sorts of things in this conversation. Um, we dive into her business. We dive into um, mental health and all the things that are going on in mental health, um, whether that be like things that hold people back or things that you know, people are trying to achieve or why they're trying to achieve things. Uh, we get into all of that. Another thing I want to mention um, that I thought was really cool, um, and for many of you, you may not be aware of what this is, but Michelle actually recently got back from a trip where she went on an ayahuasca journey, um, which 
uh, we'll, we will get into it in the podcast. We'll talk about it. Um, anyone that is kind of aware of what is going on in the tech and um, mental health spaces and stuff like that um, probably understands or at least has heard of ayahuasca. It's become very popular. Um, obviously, I'm going to throw out a disclaimer there. Um, make sure you talk to a licensed professional. Make sure that you are um, safe if you are looking into anything doing with this. It is a um, drug. Um, to my understanding, it is somewhat of a hallucinogenic drug. Um, and I'm not endorsing or saying you should or shouldn't do this. Um, I am just mentioning as a something that I have heard many different people talk about in the tech space or in the health space um, who have gone through. I've never talked to someone in person that has actually experienced it uh, and been able to ask them the questions of what is it like? What was it like for you? What different things did you experience? Did it feel like real life or a dream? You know, all of these different questions that I've always had when I listen to people talk about them. And so I was able to actually ask a lot of those questions. Um, so, um, again, it is a, it, is something that <clears throat> people are trying, um, and again, talk to a health professional, and um, do not just go running out and trying anything that you decide to try. Um, so that is my long disclaimer, but um, it was very interesting for me to actually be able to hear someone's experience through that and what they experienced. Um, so I thought that was fascinating. But again, we get into all sorts of other things. Um, I talk a little bit about my journey and my journey this year. Uh, and, uh, it, it, and all of that is leading up to uh, something. I have some podcasts um, that I've recorded their, their intro, or sorry, not their intros, but recorded the, the actual interviews. And I will be releasing those um, on my normal schedule. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, there's changes coming, uh, and I will talk about that in a further podcast. Um, but for now, enjoy my interview with Michelle Meany. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Commando Voice. Today, I'm here with a licensed mental health counselor and the founder of Spectrums of Humanity. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle Meany. Thank you, Brandon. I appreciate being here. It's really such an honor. Yeah, I'm excited. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Michelle. Man, that's the biggest loaded question that there is. Um, well, my first instinct is to just give you my roles, um, but I've also been doing a lot of work around that. So my roles are, I'm a mom, I'm a therapist, I am a worker, I am a homeowner, well, I was, I just sold my house last month. It's okay. weird saying I'm not at this point. <laughs> um, but yeah, lately I really just want to speak more to my heart, like I try to work more from a heart space, connect with people on this. Uh, kindness is one of my favorite words. I'm not a fan of the word nice. But hopefully as we work through this interview, it'll kind of unfold a little bit. Because when I was younger, I wanted, I was like very people pleasy. I wanted to do everything yes. very yeah. nice. And now I'm like, I've come a long way over the course of my journey. And I'm really able to kind of sink in a little more and be more authentic to myself. So the, the whole of Michelle, I change. I, I really want part of being on here is the idea to give us all permission to be fully human, not just our roles, not just mm -hmm. one answer in a sentence. So, yeah, I don't. Hopefully you will unpeel more of me throughout the questions. But Awesome. <laughs> I love uh, what you're saying there. Um, it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from 
uh, Into the Woods. I don't know if you know of that, but it's a, a play, um, and it's kind of like a retelling of some of the um, Brothers Grimm stories, but it's all kind of woven together. But one of the lines that they're trying to protect this boy who they want to give up to the giant so the giant will go away, uh, or the witch wants to give him up, the other people don't want to. And okay. so the line is, you're not good, you're not bad, you're just nice. Oh, I like that. And I'm like, there's so many times that that is so applicable. Yes. Oh, I'm going to have to get that information and watch that. I've heard, I've heard of Into the Woods. Is it kind of a little bit of a take of Little Red Riding Hood? It has bit? her in it, yep. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, that, that line always just sticks out to me because I'm like, I feel like there's times where I am that, uh, or especially in my, as I was growing up and stuff. It was just like, I'm just nice. And it like, there wasn't good or bad to it. It was just, you know, and so that was, it always stands out to me. I love that because I think in grad school, I was doing some work around the difference between how I viewed nice and kind. And nice, I had a negative connotation to what nice was because of those people pleasing behaviors. So I like that. Thank you for sharing that. That's great. Um, So where did you grow up? I was born in Southern California. Okay. And I think I was two or younger, maybe, when my mom and my dad separated and moved up here. And okay. Oak Harbor, Washington was okay. where I spent most of my growing up. Nice. How was that yeah. growing up in Oak Harbor? I have a lot of fond memories. Like, my mom remarried, and it went from me to instantly I had uh, two immediate siblings. Mm -hmm. And so, and then they had two more kids together. So it was like, we had five kids, two adults, and all of my siblings were like half or step, which I won't, I don't really think of them that way, but just kind of how we separated out. I did always feel a little alone, like outside of the group, I think because of that, but we lived in a very small trailer and my dad was a logger. My stepdad was a logger. Okay. And, um, my mom's cosmetologist, she did hair and I, I have some fond memories of growing up there. We had animals. We had a little farm. We were all scrunched in together. Uh, my dad and I would fight over food. He wanted me to eat all of my food. And, <laughs> like, we didn't really fight about anything except for I was always the one sitting at the dinner table just, like, not finishing on time. <laughs> so we had our power struggles with food. And... Yeah, school, I, I had a lot of friends. I was really active. My mom kept us active in things and clubs and plays and staying the night, friends' houses. But Oak Harbor, it was a small, like, not a huge city, small area, but we walked all over the place. Yeah. It was a different time, too, of course. Yeah. I'm 42 years old now, and this was up until I was 13. Yeah, we were all over. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. And do you guys live in town then? Or do you kind of live on the outskirts of it? We lived on the outskirts. It was called Oak Harbor Road. Okay. Yep. And then my grandpa lived down below. And so there was like this gravel driveway that went up to the trailer. And I say that because I remember we would bring food down to him at night. Okay. And I would be so scared walking by the chicken coop with this plate <laughs> of food to my grandpa. And it just, it brought up, there was just those little, little kid fears. Yes, You know, of the course. dark and the trees. Yeah. So. Awesome. So then, um, as you were growing up, um, was there anything that made you think that, uh, like, counseling and stuff was something you were going to aim towards? Or what were you thinking you were going to grow up and be and and do as you were getting older? I love that question because that is just the prime example of life taking us in whatever direction it takes us. I actually was going to be a lawyer with one of my best friends, Taylor. Her name was Taylor. 
we, yeah, we were, we were going to lawyer it up, possibly teacher it up. I had zero thoughts of being a counselor, zero thoughts of psychology, which now I know it's all kind of intertwined, but yeah, that was not a goal of mine. That just unfolded as it unfolded okay. over the course of the years. Nice. So as you were going through high school and stuff, were you looking at like attorney schools and things like that, law school? Nope. I was looking at Western. Okay. I wanted to go to Western, and Western is, uh, it actually has a really great psychology program, and it has a really great teaching program, mm-hmm. but I, I wasn't. I was just, I knew I was going to college, I knew I was going to Western, um, had some life stuff happen, 17 years old, I think, so I kind of, I, I deviated from the plan. I started at Western, did a couple quarters, semesters, but I just took it a relationship path, and I was like, oh, they don't, they don't check um, attendance in college. So I, <laughs> so I was a straight A student all through high school, all through my whole life. Yeah. And like I said, I was kind of that people pleaser, do it all. I, I wanted that success, but I had like my inner world and my external world were very different. Mm. So I did the check marks of the boxes cause I felt like I had to, I had piano lessons and it did all the, like the things, but I didn't really, my internal world was I would struggle. I struggled a lot. So I think trying to navigate my internal world and the external world and being the straight A student and then going to college and realizing I have more choice and I don't have to do the things that I'm supposed to do. Yeah, I just, so I kind of let it slip. So I did not go right from, I mean, I had a full ride. I had a right, like everything was handed to me from the work I did throughout my life. And then I pretty much just, I just didn't do it. (laughs) I did it the hard way. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So where did that end up leading you to then? Well, it led me to, what did I do? So I was at Western for a little bit. And then I got a job at a movie theater. And I just wanted to have, I was working at Papa Murphy's. Mm -hmm. And I got a job at a movie theater with some friends and just, I was social, got a job at Denny's, met some of my best lifelong friends working graveyard at Denny's. And I say that because the population, graveyard at Denny's, that set me up more for, I think, my entire career of psychology, (laughs) of working in the jails and the prisons. Like, that population right there had my heart. Mm. Like, graveyard at Denny's serving, just there's a realness. There was a, just, I don't even know how to describe it, except... You know, you have the peop- the late night people, you know, the misfits, the the ones who did it a little different. And yeah. I know I'm kind of boxing as well, but that that set me up. And yeah. then I moved after that, I think I was 19, 20, I moved to Redding, California to live with some family. Mm-hmm. And I found my independence. I, I got a job, got my own apartment, just really started feel, feeling who I was yeah. and setting into myself and what I wanted to do. I still had no idea what I wanted to do for school. Okay. But, and then I just relationship stuff. I ran away from a broken heart out of Redding, California, and I came back up here to family. And then my life started. Okay. My life started. Nice. I, I met uh, who is no longer my husband, but who was. We got pregnant. We got married. We bought the houses. We did the things. And... I started having kids, and I, I went back to college. Okay. I was pregnant. I was pregnant with my second. I got my AA degree at Skagit, and then I finished. I went back to Western, finished my bachelor's in psychology when I was pregnant with my third. Okay. And that was in 2011. Okay. 
Nice. So. And when you were in, in college uh, or heading back to Western, um, was it your time looking back at the Denny's and, and some of that stuff that made you kind of shift and, and reevaluate what you wanted to focus on? I think it was, it started with electives because my psychology classes, I really, really enjoyed. Yeah. But because I had started my college career so much way back, right after high school, and I had some credits, and then I had done the human services in um, Skagit, so okay. it was the great human services program mm-hmm. for the AA transfer, and that kind of set, started setting me up for what I want to do to help people. But I also was interested in the research com- component. I was interested in human behavior immensely. But at the end, really, I had a lot of psychology elective classes, and so that's what decided my major. Okay. I was like, well, I'm this close. I'm just going to do it that way. But as it progressed, you, you learn quickly psychology you can use everywhere with every conversation and in any job. Yeah. You also learn quickly that the the financial component for career-wise, you've got to take that psychology degree to a master's. I, I think that's the case now still. Um, to be able to, to get paid what you want to get paid for some of the work you're doing. So yeah. th- that was, once I did the psychology bachelor's, after I graduated, it was in my head. I'm like, I'm going to, I know I'm going to get a master's in this because I don't really know how to capitalize on that bachelor's degree mm-hmm. without taking it in some sort of clinical or some higher education direction. Yeah. So did you go directly from graduating into it trying to find a master's, or did you try and do some work outside of that first? I definitely did work outside of that. Okay. I, we're going to say the theme is the hard way for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just kind of lived life. I was a parent and was working my butt off, and I had worked at Skagit Regional Clinics for a, a while. Actually, and then Skagit Valley Hospital doing medical records and reception and stuff like that. So okay. that was about 10 years off and on. I didn't go back to get my master's until 2016. Okay. Yeah. And that was kind of in a process where I was building up my life again. It was kind of post-divorce, and it was I was just starting to build up again. And yeah. I built, I'm like, okay, here I'm going. And I went to an amazing program. It's called Saybrook University. Okay. And I don't know if they're still doing it. It used to be called Leadership Institute of Seattle, mm-hmm. and I think it was bought and purchased. And... So it's a, it was very outside of the box, um, very heart-centered, very yeah. heart-based. It was still clinical. It was still definite clinical training, but it brought the full holistic picture in, which yeah. that, that took it in a total direction for me. And I'm, just, I'm so grateful for the referrals to that specific program and how the higher powers that be get us where we need to be. Yeah. Awesome. So then as you, once you graduated then, where did you go from there? When I graduated with my master's, I, which was two years of really working through all of my own personal traumas. I don't know if they talk about that much, but in this program, it was, you go for, what was it? You are like home doing the book work, and then you go for an intensive kind of a week, I think it was five to seven days, where you're there all day. Mm-hmm. And you're intensively working on your stuff, right? Okay. So I thought it was with, I thought it was, I'm going to build this career. Right. I didn't realize until I got there that I can't really succeed in the career until I start looking at the mirror at myself, looking yeah. at all my traumas that I've had some from childhood until now. So the, the bulk of my, um, my own psychological work happened in those two years of grad school. Okay. So it's hard for me to just be like, oh, I did this and then moved along because there was so much healing in those two years 
then that really helped push me forward. Um, but yeah. after I did an internship program and with, uh, used to be called, I think, Island Behavioral Medicine, and I graduated and I picked up a job immediately with Island County Human Services. Okay. So I started at Stanwood Middle School, mm-hmm. and I was a, a, the mental health therapist at Stanwood Middle School, and loved my job. I loved yeah. working with the kids there. I just loved being where my children were also. Yeah. And then COVID, COVID messed it all up. Yeah. <laughs> so many things. So many things, yes. <laughs> so the program was cut with COVID, plus also I was working for the county, and so there was a high need all over the community. Right. So we were, we were given the option to you know, stay and do that fancy unemployment thing that was all over the place during COVID, which yeah. was really hard to navigate. Um, or stay on, and I wanted to stay on, and I went. I stayed on in community mental health. So okay. we would go to people's homes, and it was an intense time. I mean, I, for everybody. Yeah. For everybody, for sure. But it was it was hard because we were taught how to hold space for people, but there was no warning for COVID. There was no warning how to be the helper in a time when you really didn't know. You're our own, like, I think all therapists and all helpers, all everybody, we, the ground was just take, pulled out from under us. Right. So to be a helper in that time, that was life-changing. Yeah. Like, knowing that you're responsible for the mental health of others while you're still really trying to get your footing in your own family and schools had changed things. I'm sure you've done lots of conversations about the COVID stuff, but yeah, it was, it was very interesting being a therapist in that time. Yeah. Well, and, and what you're talking about there is so, like, I keep, I, I talk to, um, like, I talk to my team about this. I talk to other business leaders. Um, uh, you know, I try and, I talk to as many people as I can about this because even the people, so my, for myself, I wasn't worried for myself from a health perspective, from a, I don't know. I was just kind of like, we're just going to go with it. We're going to figure this out as we go along. Um, even for someone who didn't have internal stresses or, or anxiety about it, I still took on the stress of my team, my family, my family members, um, friends, you know, loved ones all over. Um, and then there was just an air of it. There, there was just uncertainty and stress that was permeating everything we did. So whether you felt fine about whether or not we were going to make it through this or not, it didn't matter because you still were taking on everyone else's. Yeah. Um, and, and so I'd be curious from your perspective, what were you seeing in the houses and the homes when you were working with, with people? Well, thank you for bringing that up because that collective piece is so, it's such a huge piece. Like, isn't it all? It's like, how do we manage that individual us and mm-hmm. that collective connection with others? And being able to take on that energy and or not or recognize what energy is ours and what is others and how do we even separate that yeah right how do we separate that so that collective piece is huge and I think there was just so much I saw a lot of loneliness I saw a lot of isolation I saw a lot of fear a lot of just um panic a lot of sadness um a couple lives were lost So that was hard to experience and be part of and, you know, hold space for that. Um, Yeah. Did you feel it? I just felt that energy like it. And even now I'm still working with clients that are picking up the pieces from from that time. And I think when we 
we kind of shifted back in once once time moved and we shifted back in the way things were are there's still so many gaps and there's still so much trauma that happened for so many families collectively yeah. and individually that I just I'm I'm just really glad that it's still part of the conversation at least even in this space because yeah. it's still it that collective remnant is still there yeah absolutely um, and I think the that piece um I mean we're seeing it not, I mean, we're seeing it in the mental health. We're seeing it in the health side as well that we're still seeing the ripple effects of COVID. Not, not of the disease, not the actual disease part, but that the health system was backed up. That people right. that got their normal checkups on things that should have been caught weren't able to get those checkups. And now those things are happening. And we're seeing this ripple effect of that on top of what you're talking about, which is we haven't really recovered still. We're mentally, and I don't, I, you know, this is one of those things. I don't think this generation or the generations that were infected here, it's going to be like the Great Depression. It's, it's not going to leave us. It's something that we will always have. Um, and we have to work in that. We have to live in that. And, um, you know, I just feel like we have to continue to give grace to people as, as they're working through this. Because there's just, every time you're like, okay, I think we're kind of getting back to normal or whatever like something else happens with someone else and someone else and for whatever reason or whatever thing comes up and it just you have to sit in again right right and that's so true and you sit in it again and again and that that is grief and that is trauma right and it comes back and Mm -hmm. it's it doesn't actually leave and sometimes the activation goes down a little bit but then something can come up later and it's like oh it's here I feel it it's here And I love what you brought up about the system because that's a huge piece of what I'm passionate about in my work is systemic thinking in general and systemic, you know, being part of the groups and how our systems since the this side of the COVID pandemic, I'll quote it, call that um, (laughs) um, the system has changed. The medical system has changed. And then the way people are working has changed. And for the better on some, I believe strongly for the better on some, because I think that people are in some ways have learned to hold space for themselves, right? And so there's that burnout piece. I mean, I think people are burned out. I think that collective energy takes a toll on that burnout, the individual burnout process. But I also see the standing up for our, I'm gonna say ourselves, as I'm gonna put myself in that, but um, we're working different. Yes, We're working different. And I think that there's some shifts that are happening and some are positive and also like, that DBT thing is it's both true. Some are not. Some is not positive. And some is like, well, how do we get the health care that we need when, when there's nobody there to work? Right. But you see so much blame. Yeah. You see so much blame. And it, it's easy. It, it's really not easy, but it seems easy to place the blame out here when there's, you know, what can we do as individuals that can help better the collective? Yeah. I don't want to sound all like idealistic either. Cause, right. But it, it's a journey and we're in it and yeah. we're still in it. And yeah. it, there's some more work to do. Yeah, and that's definitely something, you know, obviously you, you see the news and they're like, where are the people, where are the workers? There's not people in these jobs. Um, and I, I talk to other business owners and, and some, you know, some are really frustrated. Like, you know, people just don't show up like they used to. They don't work like they used to. They, they take mental health days. They do, they do these things. Um, for me, what I've seen is there's, there is the positive side, which is, People are, are no longer, whether it's good or bad, they're no longer necessarily motivated by money. Um, they're motivated, motivated by your mission. They're motivated by what they, they're doing. Um, 
And that's what drives them. So for, for when you look across the business landscape, I think as a small business owner, you should see that as a net positive because we were never going to compete with the corporations financially. Right. But we can compete with them on what our mission is and what we do for our communities. Right. And I'm smiling so big when you say that because I think that that's going to be the better world, right? If we can stay more grounded in our values, more grounded in our passion. And, and with technology, like our world is changing so much. And it, before there's, I mean, I've heard said before, like, you know, how can you be special when you're just one person? But you're one person who has a specific set of experiences and a specific set of, the only set of experiences that have come together in this one space and time. And yes, I am a clinical therapist, so I always <laughs> hesitate talking a lot about energies and things like that, but I think that's a positive where more and more people are grounding in their values mm -hmm. and what they want and holding those boundaries a little firmer. And, and it's hard to do. And then I think it can also deter some because it's changing. There's so many changes a lot of people are doing. Like even, I'm assuming, part of your work here is this, the individual, like, talking to people and hearing mm -hmm. stories and hearing experiences. Like, that changes the collective. Yeah. That gets, I think, what is it, Brene Brown? Don't quote me on me quoting her. <laughs> but <laughs> she says something about, like, um, shame can, like, go away or something like that when stories are told in safe places. Yeah. So... And that brings me back to like giving us all permission to be fully human, not good, not bad, both. Yeah. I'm not quite ready to move into the nice space yet, <laughs> yeah. but where we're not, we're, we are good and bad and everything in between. And especially for providers. And I do feel like there's a, a expectation for providers and special clinical providers to hide or, or really put their dark side in the shadow space and not be, we can't be out there with it, right? So it's almost like suppressing a part of our humanity. Yeah. And this giving us all permission to be fully human to me means let us be good and bad and yeah. everything in between. And how can we change this system to where is there space for that? So we can support those when something negative happens or when there's there's something that causes a shift in, you know, our career because of a behavior or, and I, I really say this because COVID, you saw a lot of it. You yeah. saw a lot of providers, like they couldn't hold the ground anymore. So they, you could see their behaviors shift. You could see different like addictive or substances or things like that. And I'm coming back full circle to the point. Like, I think that part of that is a reason why our system is, it's harder to find workers. It's yeah. harder because the people who are trained to do the work are also struggling yeah. and they're struggling in mental health. They're struggling in holding that trauma and that space for everybody. Yeah. And I'm, I, I, I am, I'm going to say that I'll be the first to say it. it has been a struggle. Yeah. And I think more of us as providers, as professionals need to talk about our own personal struggle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, you see, you guys see so much of, of that under the underbelly of society and, and, and what people are struggling with and dealing with, and right. um, it is we're all we're all working through that. None of us have it together. <laughs> no, thank you. None of us have it together. Can that be the theme right now? Right. Like, none of us have it together, and that's okay. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. And I think for me, like my little girl self, that felt like I had to have it all together, and then that splitting of the internal and external world, like out here, I got it all together. But over here, you know, I'm struggling inside. And 
I saw it at the middle school with the students that had like the perfect grades and like a lot of them were internally struggling. Yeah. So having that idea that just looking through the one lens of grades or the one lens of how they show up in society doesn't mean that internal struggle isn't real. Right. Right. So. And, and, uh, to your point that some of those things have been so interesting to me as I've learned more about, um, psychology and, and some of that background stuff, but what makes someone, I mean, we, the thing is we've seen this for a long time. We see some of the greatest athletes, um, fighters, business people, you see that their, their greatness actually comes from their trauma. Uh, you know, so I forget who it was, but there's a, there's a famous, like world famous, um, sports player who like, he got to the top, he'd won everything. And they said, like, how do you feel right now? He's like, I was always just striving to get that great job from my dad. Like that was why he did what he did. Right. Um, and you still see that. And so even on the mini scale, you see the, the high achievers in school, you see the people that, um, are adults as kids. And so you hire a 16 year old and she works like a 20 year old and you're like, this is great. And then I always mentally check back and I'm like, what life does she live that she has to be a 20 year old at 16? You right. know? And, and it's weird. It's hard. Cause it's like what makes them great in one area is also what got them there. Yes. As, like that greatest strength can sometimes be our greatest weakness. Mm-hmm. And when we live in a culture that like, uh, capitalizes on like the greatness well we're, we're externally validating this thing that is keeping keeping the darkness quiet yeah. does that make sense yeah a little bit and absolutely like what does make this person function we live in a like high productivity culture as well right. too and it's like wow cool you're getting all this done but i i want to hold space for integration just being able like where we don't have the productivity where we we have it right but then we can sit like I think even in some religions, it says on the last day, you just rest, right? Yeah. And I, I'm not like saying that for any reason other than like the integration space yeah. is so important. And just knowing that there's things happening in the subconscious, yeah. even when you're not doing something out here. Right. And trusting that, trusting that it's okay to stop for a minute. It's okay to stop for a minute because there's still things happening and it doesn't have to all be on this one person or this one person or this one person. Yeah. But I love that you think about that, especially as a business owner, like who, with who you have working for you and how, because we all have the different lives and we mm-hmm. all came to be how we are in different ways. But that, sh- the, I like to work with the shadow, like that collective shadow. Um, collective shadow is the darkness that we all kind of suppress. And even though, like you said, with the traumas, our people who are famous, like it, it's the traumas. Yeah we as a collective still shy away from them. It's hard to look at them. It's hard to look at other people's and it's hard. It's, we project our stuff and it's just a dark space Yeah. and it's hard. And so I get it logically, but also I think the more we look at the shadow, the more we really, we connect and we integrate and um, we can peel away some of that stuff that I guess I'm going to call it negativity, but darkness reactivity, defensiveness, like all those things out there that we don't want to talk about or we don't want to like feel in here. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, and, and what you're saying with, um, the, the uncertainty and, and that I was just talking, uh, you know, post I, I've gone to counseling like on and off, but like, um, at this point I just always schedule like my next appointment. I'm like, something will happen between my, me and my next appointment. So, um, but I was just talking to my counselor about that, about, um, 
uncertainty. He's like, so how do you feel? Like, not being certain on some things that you thought were, you know, you had the right answer back back in the day. And it's like, I, I don't know. It's, But I'm becoming more comfortable with that. Like, sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we have to hold these. This life isn't as cut and dry or as black and white as we like to think. Um, and that's something that's just really become apparent to me. And that part of it has been just something where I'm like, I don't know the right answer. Like the whole world could literally be upside down to what I thought it was. And I don't know if that's right or that's right. And you have to be able to live in that uncertainty and that uncomfortable not knowing what the right answer is. And it's so hard, Uh especially when there's all these narratives from when we're young saying, this is what you're going to do. This is the answer. You do this, do this, do this. And then just like that um, professional you were talking about, you get to the top you're like, but but wait, why does this do, why doesn't it feel like everything is perfect now? Because I did all the things I was told to do. Right. And then it's like, oh, that uncertainty. Actually, so I don't want to get sued by Tony Robbins or anything, but I, he has a, a theory. I don't know if it's his or someone else's, but it, it's a model of human needs that I love, and it uses certainty and uncertainty, and connection and significance mm-hmm. as the four like basic human needs. Okay. And so. I, so yeah, it's having the uncertainty is about like, you need a little bit of adventure in your life. You need to have things and, and having the certainty is you need that routine. You need some things that you can count on that, you know, like, you know, some people like that with their coffee. I love coffee, but I like my coffee to be an adventure. So I get a different (laughs) one every time. But, like, knowing that you can, you know, you wake up and have water running. Like, there's those certainties and uncertainties. But that significance piece is we want to be significant. We don't really know how. We think we do or we're told to. And we do our journey as we think. But then it unfolds as it does. And yeah. But I remember them talking about, I think, when, when certainty and significance are the top, then a lot of times it's, like, money and power. It's, like, you... you you kind of get that that obsessed with control or yeah. having that significance and and it's unbalanced. Yeah. Right. It's unbalanced. You you don't have so much the heart space that comes from connection and or the adventure and it's a you're really finding yourself like even showing you my whole body is like that control. Yeah. And we want the balance. So I love that hum, basic human need model because you can put anything in there. Yeah. So that's awesome. So one of the things you, you actually mentioned, it's shorthand name, but I just wanted to briefly touch on, you mentioned um, DBT, which stands for, and I'm going to butcher this, dialectical yep. behavior therapy. Yep. Um, tell us just a, if you can describe that in like a, a small way and how that's useful in counseling. Yeah, I, I can. Um, really, the best way I can just describe it is that both are true. Right. Sometimes we get in the spaces where it has to be this, it has to be that. Like, it, it can all be true at the same time. And so, I really encourage you to. If, there's so many resources resources on DBT, but both can be true. They use it a lot um, in borderline personality disorder and things like that, which actually hits close to my home because I I will be very transparent and I. Would probably I've never been diagnosed with it, but I have I know that I have quite a functional. It's what's called functional borderline personality disorder, and it's 
uh, storminess of relationships and just really struggling with the thing that you want the most is closeness, but it's also the the scariest thing that you can possibly do. Yeah. So like striving for the thing that you want, but not being able to get it. Yeah. And in my personal life, that has been like, so I've shown up very successful. I am very successful. And I've done a lot of work on myself over the course of the years. But in that relationship piece, and it's, it's really about connection, like life in all. Like we, this is a different theory, but we're bred for connection and protection, right? Yeah. We want to connect with others, but we want to protect ourselves. Like yeah. that's primal. So functional borderline personality disorder is something I struggle and I have struggled with my whole life. So mm. thoughts of suicide, like a lifetime of just in my head, negative thoughts, negative thoughts. And so DBT is helpful for that therapy. I really recommend whoever is struggling with those things to get with a therapist who, who works with DBT or mm-hmm. works with some of those things. Yep. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy as well is a really great tool. These are very, both of them are very common ther- uh, modalities okay. that are used across the board because they, they're, oh, evidence-based, right? There's a lot of evidence-based stuff. Okay. I'm moving m- not away from those things, but more... Uh, into an intuitive space for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, there is evidence in that too, but if you feel drawn to those things, I really encourage you to get on get on YouTube, get on Amazon, get somewhere and find those tools because yeah. they can they can help. But in my experience, it's so important to join with the person first and foremost before mm-hmm. throwing in the tools. Yeah. Um, because most of us don't want to be fixed. You know, most of us want to be loved. We want to know that we're, that we're completely, we can be fully human. We can be loved. We can be accepted. And then those tools can come once that trust is built. Yeah. I think sometimes we come with these therapy modalities and like, this will fix you. This will fix you. This will fix you. And I don't think anybody's really broken. I think it counts so much of our behaviors come from just traumas and how we work. I think CBT has, I really encourage people to look up thinking errors because that's my favorite part of CBT is the thinking errors. Noticing the thought processes that you have and how they are getting in the way and how they are not serving you any longer. So like one common one most people probably know is black and white thinking, Mm -hmm. right? So it's, if this is true, then this must not be true right? There's only one truth allowed. There's only space for the one. Yeah. Or catastrophizing. So that's another example. So something happens, my emotions get all over the place and I can't handle it. So then my whole life must be over. Right. Like (laughs) it's not just one thing. It's just, it's almost like I think of like the, the rock at the top of the hill and it just falls down. And emotionally, like maybe you can relate to that. I know I can. Like when I get my emotions super activated, yeah, I f- it feels like a catastrophe. Yeah. But CBT helps you bring it back to like, oh, okay, not everything is a shit show right now. I don't know if I can say that on here. I'm sorry. That's okay. I can okay. I work on it. Not, not everything is um, a mess, a mess no, right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, you're good. And, and there's so many other truths. Yeah. And it's easy to say, well, what if this bad thing happens? What if this bad thing happens? What if this bad thing happens? Okay cool, I can meet you there. But what if this awesome thing happens? What yeah. if this other awesome thing happens? Right? And, and also hold space that you've been through all these bad things. So your mind, your neural pathways may be taking you straight there, like, because that's what you know, and that's your experience. But let's start like, 
paving the way. Like, I like to think of, that's funny because I just did this the other day with my brother, just going in the woods, randomly no trail, right? So if you're on a path and there is a trail, you know exactly where to walk, right? And you just walk it because it's there, there's a trail, yeah. right? Even if it's leading to a cliff, right? Most people are going to walk on it because there's a trail there. Right. And then you get to the end and it's like, oh, well, shoot, there's this cliff. <laughs> and that's where you see a lot of the self-destruction happening because it's like you, we, we make these pathways in our mind and our thoughts do that. Mm -hmm. And we just continue to solidify this thought, even if it's a negative thought, even if it has a negative outcome. But... It, we have to do the work to make the new paths and the work isn't fun. So let's imagine me and my brother in the woods and we're trying to find anything different than what we were doing before, right? Right. So we're, we're squishing down. We have to make a new path. There's spider webs in our face and there's branches scratching us, but we're going that way <laughs> because we, we don't want to go there anymore where it's self-destructive, even right. though that path is totally paved. Yeah. And then it takes a lot of time to do that new path and it hurts and it's not fun. And that's therapy to me. Like yeah. all that's, it's not, it's healing, but it doesn't always feel good because we are hurting ourselves along the way, but we're healing and we're starting a new path. And guess what? This one leads to a beautiful waterfall. This one does not lead off a cliff where your self-destruction was taking you before. That's kind of a lot. I know yeah. that. I'm sorry, but no, that's it, great. it can kind of help people navigate those thoughts so stop stopping when you notice the negative thoughts stopping them yeah okay and it takes a lot of work and some moments you may not want to do it but it does if you the, when you can start becoming aware of those negative thought patterns then you can start shifting them and you can't start shifting them until you're aware and then once you're aware there's going to be times where you're like I don't want to I want to go off the cliff because I know that path yeah and then, then it takes you back to the uncertainty yeah. it's like this is uncertain, and sometimes we're more scared to do the new path because of that uncertainty, right. even if it's going to take us to the life we always imagined and dreamed and hoped that we could live. Right. So. Yeah. Very cool. So in all that you're talking about, we've, we've talked about like these tools of CBT and DBT, um, but when you came in, you were t mentioning that you just went on a month, uh, month trip? To Peru or a trip to Peru? I was, yeah, I was gone the month of August, but two weeks of that was in Peru. Okay. And you said you went on an ayahuasca journey? Yes, I did. Can you talk us through that? Because it's something that, I, and I don't know if some people, listeners of this podcast, will have heard of that as much, but I know it's very becoming a lot more well known. But can you talk us through that? Start by maybe talking about like what ayahuasca, uh, what that would look like, what that journey looks like. Okay. So I. I think I want to, because I think I can bring this together with some of my other experience in Stanwood with okay. the nonprofit that we were starting. Okay. So um, we, there is a pioneer in addiction and trauma, and he is, I think he's from Canada. His name is Gabor Mate, G-A-B-O-R-M-A-T-E. Okay. And he does amazing work. And during, I think it was a, during COVID, he came out with a documentary called The Wisdom of Trauma. Okay. And I watched that. And in that documentary, he references um, outside of Western medicine healing. So it, there's a lot of things in that documentary. I'm not saying it's all good or all bad, but yeah. I do recommend somebody to watch it and just feel what comes up for you. But one of those things he talks about is alternative ways of healing mental health. 
um, me personally as a therapist and as someone who has tried different medications for mental health that have led me directly to feelings of suicide or even attempts of suicide, that the medication that certain medications for me were, they were life or death, right? right. And they, they, it was too scary for me. And so work, it's my, being in this career really helps me. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. But I had started a seed in this ayahuasca journey. I had heard about it. Um, and then it, that seed started to grow in my mind when I watched The Wisdom of Trauma. Okay. And I wanted to try a little outside of the box I wanted to do it in the culture that it was, so the Shipibo pe people culture. And I went, so I reached out to Gabor Mate and his team, and they recommended this place. Okay. And so I, then I lived my life, right? I didn't think much of it. I haven't had a lot of money. I've never just up and left to Peru, but I had a lot of changes this year. And um, there was some custody changes with my kids due to me working and I was working. I didn't mention this, but I have experience working in jails and prisons, which is a very dark place to work. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of changes. I was traveling all over the country this year doing mental health for jails and prisons. Okay. Over across the country. Yeah. So a wonderful experience. Um, and it shifted my life with my family because mm -hmm. I was a single parent for a long time and I... I, in a moment of panic, made a decision. So it shifted custody with the kids. I ended up selling my, our house. Lots of changes. Yeah. Lots of transition. <laughs> lots of changes. So I sold my house, and I was in a relationship, and then that didn't work, and there was a breakup, and I got my money for my house, and I'm like, it's just like the paths I was just talking about. I'm like, I can spiral. I know what spiraling looks like for me, and, or I can do something different. So I called up that place. It's called Niwe Rao in um, Iquitos, Peru. And they said, hey, we have openings on Sunday. And this was a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I couldn't find a flight to make it that Sunday. So I made it the next Sunday. And I did. I, I packed up. I followed the pre-diet that they recommended. And I got on a plane and I went by myself to a totally different country that spoke a totally different language and I I put I did one of the things that was on my bucket list yeah so um I can't tell you too much about the chemical compounds of ayahuasca but it is to my understanding a, a DMT so it's a, a psychedelic okay that's used culturally like it's used as medicine in other cultures yep. it's not legal here in the United States so I could not I did it in that country yeah um and it at least the way that that culture does it, it there's a lot of healing that comes and it wasn't like a one-on-one -on -one type it was like I was with a group there were other therapists that were there there was people from the United States there were people from Germany there were people from Netherlands people from all over the country I made some really, really close connections and yeah. met some wonderful people. And I don't have a history of using psychedelics. Mm -hmm. Like, so this was literally taking myself, like it jumping into the grandfather <laughs> of what healing, but there was an inner knowing. There was an inner knowing, a trusting. I mean, I didn't have another choice. I had to trust because yeah. I just did. Yeah. And that was, that's that uncertainty. That's that adventure. Yeah. But it was, it was life-changing. I don't want to come on here and recommend it for everyone because I think I could, there was so much trauma work in those 14 days. 
And for me, I wanted to run every day, which, and that's what it does. It brings up the, the patterns that you do in life, mm -hmm. like the, the way that you respond to things in life. And it did that. So I thought I'd be going and I would have one experience and to, I'd talk about it and I'd leave. It doesn't work that way. You do multiple ceremonies a week. So I had six ayahuasca experiences and everyone brought up a different trauma for me. Everyone re really brought me face to face with my own ego. Um, it was life changing and also terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of fears came up for me that I had to work through and I did. And I didn't end up leaving, but my, my desire to run was very prominent and I stayed. Um, but there was so much beauty in it too. There was a lot of beauty. The first experience was just playful and fun and safe. And it felt safe, at least. And you could kind of feel parts of your mind opening up. Yeah. And, and that's, that, I'm really glad that I did it. I, am, I may do it again someday, but integrating back into my normal life with these experiences, yeah. that was hard. Coming back, I'm, it's, it's a journey. It's a journey. So I don't want to come on here and just have people be like, oh, cool, this is so great. Let's go do it. <laughs> right, right. Um, I think I would like to do it with one-on-one, -on -one, like with a one-on-one -on -one maybe professional too. And, but, but I will say it brought me face-to-face -to, -face to like my true self. Like it, it really had me look at my own defenses, had me look in the mirror. And I already thought I did a lot of look in the mirror self work. Yeah. So it, it brought up a lot, but it was... It's one of those pivotal life-changing experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't mind, one of the questions I have, because I, I think a lot of the listeners are going to, um, first of all, me have never heard of ayahuasca. Um, but when you say like a journey and when you say you had these experiences, you don't have to dive into them, but what do you, what do you mean by experiences? Like after you mm. partake or whatever that is, what does that look like then? That's a good question. Thank you for calling that. So I'll just talk a little bit about like what the ceremony looks like. So we would go in, it's a big round building and there would be mats all around the outside of the building and we would just sit on our own mat and we were instructed to really just have our own energy and do as best as we can to stay to our own energy as hard as that may be when there's 30 people in the area. Um, and we would go drink. So we would, we would watch them during the day make the, make the medicine mm -hmm. and then we would go at the ceremony, it'd be all dark, lights are out, There's, they just light a candle. It's very ritualistic. Um, and we would drink the ayahuasca. We, one by one, we'd go up, we'd drink it with the shaman, and we'd come back to our space. And we'd wait, every, for every person is different. For me, by the time everyone had their drink, I was very sensitive to it, and it was very intense for me. Um, by the time everyone had theirs, mine was already working, and it was working intense, and it was working long. <laughs> and, um, but I didn't move. Really, and my body moved a little bit. I w it was more of a in-my-head experience. Um, some people moved. Like, they would, pull, they would bring us to get, like, a ceremonial song sang to us during the process. So there was, there was a lot of culture embedded in, in these ceremonies. And um, my experience had a lot of, like, visualizations, whether my eyes were open or closed. Um, a, it, once the intensity of each night kind of settled, then... I would just kind of let my mind go, and it would always bring me back to childhood moments, memories from childhood, things that I struggled with or love that I had or shared with people. And it kind of really helped me come back to my sense of family, come back to my sense of, like, 
um, it's sometimes in my work too, like, and a lot of times we can only see the traumas because they were so intense. Yeah. But there's so many things. One of my favorite quotes is from a movie, and I don't want to slaughter it, but it was a movie called Just Married with Ashton Kutcher. Okay. And it's yep. towards the end. And I think the dad says, um, you don't see the happy times in a photo album, but the, or you don't see the dark times in a photo album, but those are the ones that get you from one happy snapshot to the other. Mm. And so in my experience... I saw so much of the, the, the happy things in between the traumas, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that, that just expanded a lot of my life. It's yeah. like, oh, wait, I am loved. Oh, wait, it isn't just about significance. Oh, wait, you know, I can, I can yell. I can be mad. I can hurt people and take accountability if I need to. Or, what, you know, I, I can do all those things, and it doesn't affect how loved I am. And that, you know, if, if someone can believe that message just by me telling them, then please do. You know, you're loved anyway, no matter what. I have a, a friend who lives in Tennessee. She used to say that. She's like, she called me Shelly. She's like, Shelly, I love you either way. I love you either way. And so that was the beautiful part of it. The hard part was having, like, my fear of spiders come up and then seeing a whole bunch of spiders. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And now I feel like spiders are my spirit animal. You should look it up because it it's, was right on for my experience at the time. But the hard part is bring, it brings your fears up. It, and then you have to face them or you don't. But there are risks. And I, I just want to make sure that, you know, you know the risks before you jump into something like that. And Yeah, um, yeah but I, I wouldn't change it. I'm really glad that I went. Awesome. That's very cool. And yeah, and I will just let this out there just because I listen to other podcasters that talk about stuff like this. This is not a medical podcast. This is not a recommendation. This is just an experience that Michelle had. So do your own research, talk to doctors, you know, yes. know what you're doing before you just <laughs> jump into anything. Right. Thank you for saying that. But um, <laughs> very cool. I, um, I've, I've heard lots of different, um, I have heard different uh, business people and different people that have gone through um journeys with ayahuasca and tried it and done things and and it's it's just so it's fascinating to me the hearing the stories of of what they experience and and how they how they experience it not necessarily what they experience but how they do right Um, because like you said everyone's different and so it's like how will they react to it how will their mind and, and all of that so yeah and that's so true when i would talk to people the next day like some were outside on the benches moving their bodies walking around and i like could barely even open my eyes like yeah, everybody's experience is different. Yeah. But I do want to come back because I had kind of mentioned that the nonprofit piece and it linked because we did a community event back in May mm-hmm. and we we showed the wisdom of trauma. Okay. So that that was that was how that linked to that piece. So nice. Yeah. Very cool. And so currently you're working uh, or you're working. You own um, Spectrums of Humanity and you're still counseling through that. Tell us a little bit about your work there and, um, yeah, what you do in, in your count, uh, practice. Okay. So I have had my private practice since 2018, and I've been doing that on the side of all of my other jobs that I've been working. So mm-hmm. it's, it's been pretty constant. Um, come it was 2021, I went to private practice full-time, fully telehealth. And I, I loved it, but I wasn't getting out in the world enough. It was just all me, my family, and doing therapy. So I expanded, and I started going. I 
get, then I started working at the jails and prisons. So I'm still doing my private practice. I'm expanding it more since I've been back from the ayahuasca. I have all of these. I'm, I'm opening more. I have more ideas and things I'm doing. Um, I am doing... I'm So give me a second. Okay, no, breathe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, mostly telehealth. Okay. Mostly telehealth still. But I, I recently moved, so I'm working. I see clients still in Stanwood and now also in Anacortes. Okay. Or Stanwood Camino and now also in Anacortes. Okay. So I'm looking for an office in Anacortes that I'll be doing face-to-face. But I'm also doing groups. Um, and so you can get on my website. And I don't know if you'll mention that at the end or how you want to do that. But yeah, I, you can mention I'll, it. I'll always have groups. So my website is spectrumsofhumanity.org just regular spelling. Um, or you can email me at Michelle M, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-M, at spectrumsofhumanity.com. And we'll definitely so. have both of these linked up in the, the show notes. Perfect. And it'll say on there what, what groups are going on, when they're going on. It'll, it's, it's, everything's on the website. I just nice. updated it. So Very cool. So yeah. then um, we've talked about so many different things on this. Um, when it comes to, for you, what does um, kind of being able to take that breath outside of everything else that's going on, um, what does that look like for you? Well, I'm going to take that as permission right now to take the breath. <laughs> it's a good reminder, I think, anytime, because life gets so busy and we all just kind of get. We just go, go, go. And I work with a lot of trauma. So I, I also do lifespan integration, which is a type of trauma work. And um, it uses timelines of mm-hmm. trauma to kind of help us work through trauma. And our nervous systems are all over the place sometimes, especially when you're holding all that trauma. Yeah. And mine, I mean, I feel like I had a lifetime of it. And then just within the last five years have really started practicing the muscle of that breathing. Mm -hmm. So I did, I've, I've been working on meditation a lot in the past five years. In 2019, I did the 10 day meditation, Vipassana silent meditation retreat. (laughs) That was a whole nother story, but like coming back to the body and coming back to the breath is it's imperative. We have to. And I, one thing I'll share I think I mentioned it earlier about that connection and protection. So the polyvagal theory is a resource I would really like to recommend. Mm -hmm. And it talks a lot about the biological need to connect with others as humans and also to protect ourselves. And when we're in trauma, we're in that protect mode, right? Mm -hmm. We're not in connect mode. Yeah. And that our, our nervous system, our we have different parts of our nervous system and I don't know how much to go in, but just reminder is that when our out breath is a little bit longer than our in breath, it helps us find that balance, right? Cause the in breath is that part of our nervous system is setting our body up for fight, flight, freeze, mm-hmm. shutting our organs down and saying, Hey, alert, alert, alert. But we, it's an, a balanced person. You know, the out breath is saying rest and digest, mm. breathe out. So it's all of these processes in our body are working so fast all of the time. Right. And if we're breathing in, like, <gasps> we're, we're, it's like alert, 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 alert. Right. We're not 
our body isn't real, it's not resting and digesting. It's not getting the signal to turn all the rest of the organs back on that it just signaled to turn off. Yeah. And so that reminder to breathe is imperative. And then practicing it, that out breath, making sure it's long and slow because we all can breathe in and then sigh. Right. But that, that keeps us in that, that mm. fight, flight, freeze kind of response. Yeah. So you can learn more about that with the polyvagal theory, but I, that's one of my favorite reminders is just that out breath methodical out breath and then it can remind you to take a deep in breath and then slow like especially working at the jails I've noticed people don't want to be told to breathe and I get that because it seems like such a simple thing like I've been breathing my whole life but I don't think any of us really know how to breathe I don't Mm. think we've been really taught how to breathe some of us yes but the natural way I don't think I think it is one of the best lessons that we could learn is mm-hmm. how to breathe to regulate our nervous system. Yeah. So my life gets busy. I get, I, yeah. I have fast family members. Like my mom's all over the place. She's a mover. <laughs> she's a goer. We all are. I have to consciously say stop. Yeah. Like just stop, breathe, take a moment. Cause especially when I start getting all wound up tight, it's like, oh. and I love that I can help my clients with that, but I have to remember it too. Yeah. So thank you for asking yeah, that. That's great. Yeah, and that's definitely um, uh, that's a good reminder on on doing that, taking that deep breath, and, and it's a it's an easy, simple thing to be able to do. And there's a guy called uh, Wim Hof, yes. uh, or the Iceman. Yes. Um, and I remember when I started learning a little bit about him. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he's holds the record for like longest ice bath, you know, all these different things, and his entirety of everything he's done is just built on breath work. Um, he's, uh, he's, uh, summited mountains in like shorts and a t-shirt and all of this through breath work. Uh, and so it, it, look him up, but it's, it's, I was like, wow, there's so much power in, in just how we breathe. Yes. Um, and it's, yeah. I love that you brought up, up Wim Hof. Cause I think that was the YouTube thing it was, I was talking about before we started the podcast. So get on YouTube. Yes. Play around with it, but remember the disclaimer of the medical and, um, yeah, that breath work is amazing. Yeah. It really can do a lot of things. And you don't, you don't have to go to Peru and do ayahuasca to get some of the effects. Breathing can get you some of those effects yeah. you know, in so many ways. But do it carefully and do it cautiously. Right. Yeah. Do yeah. it sitting down or laying yeah. on a couch or something. Don't <laughs> right. Do it dry. Please don't do this driving. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> All yeah. right. And that's, I love that you're bringing these pieces up because I have such, you know, I value the, the, the CBT and the DBT that you're asking about. And there's so many other modalities, too, that I don't think our culture, like, really just hugs, you know, and brings in and says, you know, but there's so many things that can bring us back to our body. And we can use them together, like, not to discount one or the other, but use them together. Use that that muscle of changing your thoughts. And and also, like, one of the DBT ones I didn't mention was holding the ice cube. Like, whatever you can do to change your, your state to help distract you from some of those, like, intense emotions. Um... And breathe and, and, you know, look at the shadow work. And I don't want to overwhelm you by saying do all of it, but find what works for you. Yeah. Right. And find a therapist that, that you feel can help you through that space. Yeah. If, if therapy is the direction that you're interested in. But I do believe everyone needs someone outside of family and friends to just hold space for. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. The first one is, what purchase of $100 or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? 
Buffalo Wild Wings. Okay. <laughs> All flats, extra crispy, chipotle barbecue dry rub, ranch on the side with, with veggies. Nice. Where do you get those ones? <laughs> uh, I get those at Buffalo Wild Wings in Smoky Point. Okay. I, now I'm going to go there. Yeah. <laughs> um, who is the most influential person outside of your family in your life? Ooh, this one's hard. I was thinking of this on the way here, but I forgot the outside of the family part. Okay. Yeah, Sorry, Grandma. I'm going to have to find another one. That's all right. No, uh, a friend of mine, his name was Johnny. He passed away in 2020, which was a huge, tra- huge trauma. He was my field training officer at the prison when I worked as a correctional officer in 2013. Um, it's, he said straight up, I don't want you here. I don't like you. Like, he was like this darkness at first. And then... And then we developed a friendship, and I watched him change the world, and he went into network marketing. He did a lot of... He's just the bravest person I know, and we were never... It wasn't like a romantic connection. He was one of my soul friends, and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sad that he's gone, but he's got to be doing something in the soul space up there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, this is a fill-in-the-blank question, and maybe you've already done this now, but I know this is weird, but I've always wanted to blank. Oh... I know this is weird, but I've always wanted to. That is one I don't know if I have, because I feel like I just did it. I was going to say. I feel like I just did it. I, the, the, yeah. That's it. It's, it's got to be the ayahuasca thing. It's yeah. got to be the just jump up and go. And, and, but I don't think this is weird, but one thing I have always wanted to do is, is um, hot air balloon. Mm. I really want to experience the hot air balloon. Nice. So. Very cool. <laughs> All right. Who's an interesting or fascinating person that I should interview next? Oh, interesting or fascinating. I I don't have someone particular in mind, but I I don't know all of who you interview, but I don't know if it's just clinical. I would like to see someone who is doesn't have any fancy credentials, someone who works just in the community on the daily, maybe a business owner somewhere who yeah. just is out there with people, you know, I, one of the, one of the reasons I started listening to your podcast is you had someone on here and he was like, just love people. People just want to be loved. And yeah, I want to, I want to hear from everybody uh, from all spectrums. Yeah. I want to hear from the shadow side of Stanwood Camano. I'm quoting shadow side. Um, yeah. So, and maybe something, a, a simple job, but that we can honor. Yeah. Yeah. So very good. All right. And lastly, what piece of advice would you give your 20 year old self? You're going to be okay. Yeah. Keep, keep learning who you are. Stay true to yourself, your authentic self. And you're going to hurt, you're going to hurt people. You're going to make people mad. You're going to do all the things and that's okay. And it's okay. So stay true to, stay true to yourself no matter what. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you. Yeah. All right. All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Michelle Meany for joining me on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode or things that we talked about in this episode, uh, you can go to the show notes or you can go to commandocommons.com slash podcast. That's commandocommons.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening and see you next time. <laughs>